0: kind of hopping over what we've been studying on Sundays. We did a two-week introduction on Wednesday nights to Ephesians and what's the history behind the book, what's the relationship that Paul had with the Ephesians, uh, what is going on there. And, uh, and so just some quick, maybe final introduction points is that uh, when Paul was writing this, he was a Roman prisoner. So uh, you know, have that in mind as we read it tonight, um, as we study it. That this is a guy that is counting the cost for Jesus, and you know, he's writing from house arrest, and he's writing as he's partaking present tense in the suffering of Christ. He was free to have visitors, and apparently, he handed off the letter of Ephesians to Tychicus to be delivered. Uh, the letter deals with church truths, as we're going to see uh, throughout the weeks, not church problems, which is a bit refreshing after having spent a couple years in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And, you know, I think my hair went a couple more shades of gray uh, while we were going through those books as we were living it out uh, even here. And um, the letter balances doctrine and duty. Duty. And we'll see in the first three chapters, these deep redemptive indicatives, which means if you break it down to my language, it's indicators of redemption. <laughs> you know, uh, He's loved us. He's died for us. We, you know, this last Sunday we looked at that we have redemption and forgiveness of sins because of His blood. You know, those are what we call redemptive indicatives. Okay, um, and then chapter four, verse one is what they call a hinge verse. It's kind of like right there in the middle of the book. And it seems to go from all of these redemptive indicatives, what he's done for us, what he's bought for us, the riches of his grace towards us. And then at that hinge verse, it hinges over to now, what do we do because of his grace? And then it just gets into three chapters of, of Christian duty and responsibility and privilege and um, instruction Uh, Warren Wearsby said, first Paul reminds us what God has done for us, then he tells us what we must do for him in response to his mercies. The believer who does not know his wealth in Christ will never be able to walk for Christ. So if you ever find that you're having a hard time living for Jesus, you're not spending enough time jesus's presence like we did tonight just meditating on the cross and what you've done and we need more of those times the letter tells us what the church is in the mind of god and what it should practice before the eyes of men really the theme of ephesians is christ and the church it's the eternal plan of god to gather together all things in christ jesus we'll see that in our text tonight one man said ephesians is our wealth our walk and our warfare or our calling our conduct and our conflict in verses in chapters rather one through three we have doctrine which is the believers blessings in christ you might even just yeah, your bibles just Flip through, look at the headings on each paragraph, you know, and just, you'll notice, look at all those blessings in Christ Jesus. One man said that that's our habitat. In chapters four through six, we have our duty, the the believer's behavior in Christ. That same man said that not only do we have habitat, but now we have diplomat. And in chapter six, we have, you guys know chapter six, combat, right? Spiritual warfare. And so we studied two weeks in Ephesians one one, where we read Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And we looked at to the saints who are in Ephesus. We just wanted to know what's Ephesus? Who's in Ephesus? What happened in Ephesus? Why is he writing to Ephesus? Ephesus, 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 Ephesians, Ephesians, you know. And uh, we looked at that. That's online if you want to listen to that. We looked at that they were called saints. But something that has been ministering to me is that they're also called faithful in christ jesus this has just been resonating for three weeks now that they are saints and they are faithful the greek speaks of that they were reliable they were believing they were trustworthy because they were trusting Because they were trusting in Jesus, they were trustworthy. And so, saints are those who are faithful. If you say you're a saint, if you've been born again, you fit into this category of sainthood, you've been redeemed, transformed, you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you, you're trusting in Jesus then you're to be trustworthy. And I would ask you tonight, is that you? We'd all just love to answer, yep, for sure, move right along. I see 23 verses here to get to, Roy. But you know, I'm grieved at how this is so lacking among so many people who say that they're Christians. That they truly are not trustworthy. Christians saints join our midst you can trust them as far as you can throw them and that's grievous they're faithful if you're a saint you're faithful it's one of the fruits of the spirit rather it's the fruit of the spirit that comes off of love when you have the love of the spirit of god in you that is peaceful and patient and kind and gentle and good and full of self-control one of those attributes of love is faithful and i would just ask maybe the lord would just show like hey where's the faithfulness in your life are you trustworthy when lydia got saved in acts chapter 16 she believed she was baptized and she believed begged Paul and Barnabas or Silas rather if you have judged me faithful to the Lord come to my house and stay and then it says so she persuaded us (laughs) so two things must have happened there they noticed she was faithful and like she was like I'm in this you know I'm in this if you judge me faithful don't judge judge not don't judge me or Judge me. Judge me. Core group, speak into my life. Am I a faithful man or a faithful woman? Church, speak into my life. Friends, brothers, sisters, am I faithful? Be willing to be vulnerable. We need each other. Covenant members of this church who have said, I understand the New Testament principles of the local church, and I understand that, and I want to be held accountable to that. Are you, are you even attempting to live that out? Maybe just the Lord would have brought you here tonight to just say, hey, remember, not out of some sort of legalistic duty, but a duty that's born out of the privileges of grace, remember to be faithful. Husbands, wives, be faithful to each other. Friends, be faithful to your commitments. The Ephesians were those that Jesus could write 30 years after he ascended, or rather it would have been 60 years. In about 90 AD, Jesus wrote to them in Revelation chapter 2 and said, I've judged your work. I've tested you. And you've been faithful. You've been faithful to kick out the false apostles. You're faithful in so many ways. This one thing I've got against you, you've left your first love you're faithful. That's one thing that the Ephesians had going for them. And look in your Bibles back to verse 15 of Ephesians 1. He says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints. Again, he says, you're faithful. You're faithful and you're full of faith, (laughs) filled with faith. And what is something that is coupled to that faithfulness? A love for the saints. Loving each other. We'll get to that a little later in verse 15, but that's just stirred in my heart as I've been studying this. And, and certainly, they were faithful in the sense that they had put their faith in Jesus. That, that's the ultimate. But then, those who trust are trustworthy. And there's no condemnation tonight as you hear this, as you're in Christ Jesus. This is just, and the Lord just speaks to us through his word. And I just want to be someone that's faithful. That that people can say, you know, there's times where I want to skirt something I said that I would do. And I just want to, you know, bail. And and the Lord just, he just speaks to my heart. Be faithful, Rory. Be faithful. That just means something to me. If you're aspiring to be a leader in this church, I would say, I learned it from my pastor, but we're looking for fat leaders. People who are faithful, available, and teachable. Are you faithful? Faithful to do what you said you'd do. Faithful to do what you're called to do. Verse two says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's classic introduction, his classic greeting Grace, which is the word charis in the Greek. It speaks of the kindness and gift and goodwill of God. Charis. And peace, which is the Greek word Irene. I kind of like that. In fact, I think as we were looking for names for Tatum, um, I was going through these names and somehow I came across Irene, you know, and I was like, wow, how cool that that means peace. Charis, and I know a girl named Charis as well, and we know many girls named Grace, But peace or Irene speaks of freedom from worry. And you know the saying, you've heard it before you'll never know peace until you know his grace. You'll never know a freedom from worrying unless you know his goodwill towards you in Christ Jesus. Well, we've spent two weeks on Sunday mornings going through verses 3 through 8. Now, three through fourteen is one giant run on sentence, so it can be hard to break it up, hard to uh just pull it apart and study it. You know, Paul is the mother of all run on sentence writers if you've read his epistles much and and this verse in the Greek has no punctuation and so if you were just like micro machines guy talk it out you know you know or whatever um it would be crazy and so um So we're kind of hopping in the middle of this long run-on sentence, but I encourage you to get online and listen to verses 3 through 8 the last two weeks. But we'll read it together here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, And and one interesting thing that I didn't get to get to on Sundays is that there's two different ways to read this. And as I read it in the New King James, which is what I usually teach out of, it seemed um, like I kept reading it and I kept throwing the in love part more with verse um, 5. And uh, it was interesting as I studied, most translations put it there. And so it, it can be read that we would be without blame before him in love towards him or it could be in love having predestined us to adoption and so you'd see that it's more his love it's tied to that predestinating love there of verse five so just something i I find myself reading it uh, more esv style or something than nkjv uh if you're into alliteration all right okay um having predestined us to adoption did he just say predestined i did it's a bible word grow to love it okay man we just have got issues when we get afraid of bible words just let's just let the word speak and let's just grow in letting the word speak into us having predestined us To what? What did he predestine us to? What did did he predestine us to? Oh no, oh gosh, oh, oh no, oh, oh. And there's all these things of, he predestined to this or that. To adoption. Like, look at what he's talking about. Predestined to adoption as sons. By Jesus Christ to himself. Why would he do something like that? It's for the good pleasure of his will. Or to the good pleasure of his will. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us all in all wisdom and prudence. And then here's our verse where we pick up uh, tonight. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. And so uh, you might just take your pen if you've got one and just notice all the different according to's that we have in this sentence. You'll see it in verse nine. Uh, You'll see it in uh, verse 11. You'll see it again in verse 11. And uh, I just, man, I was thinking, man, this is an according to chapter. He's trying to continually funnel our understanding that God had purpose in what he's doing here. And so we'll, Pull this verse apart. He made known to us the mystery of his will. This means that he has shown us the secrets of his desires and purposes. Now, this is a biblical language here. It's not talking about a mystery that's like a puzzle to be solved, but rather it's a secret that needs to be revealed. There were Old Testament prophecies that were all kind of um, secretive, but they were revealed in Christ Jesus. Uh, the Old Testament is Jesus Christ concealed. And the New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. And even the New Testament then goes and shows us how the Old Testament is written about Jesus. Uh, this lowly suffering servant riding on a donkey. The foal of a donkey rather. thats undiscoverable to the human mind. But the revelation of God shows us this now you see this when jesus rose from the dead and he's walking with the two on the road to emmaus and they're grieving and they're sad because jesus just died and he's like what are you guys crying about and he's like didn't you hear about the things that just happened and he says what things and they go what have you been living in a cave how do you not know that we thought that messiah jesus of nazareth you know that he was going to save us and and then he died like totally ruined everything and as they're walking along uh you know it's just it's funny he finally reveals himself and says to them you foolish ones that are so slow to uh in your heart to believe the things the prophets have spoken and he goes on to show from Moses through the prophets all the things that spoke of himself did you have you ever read the old testament that way you know, you're like just a bunch of you know it's pointing to Jesus it's pointing to a hero that's going to be coming and so whenever you see a hero in a story It's actually a picture of Jesus and you just use your brain a little bit and ask the Holy Spirit to show you and you'll see like whoa David is a picture of Jesus how well let's look at it you know you can look at all the heroes and they're pointing to Jesus and and he says all those things speak to me uh, speak about me and it says that he opened up their eyes and they knew that it was him and then he vanished from their sight and listen what they said to one another I hope this is you guys on Wednesday night and Sunday mornings. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Like, do you remember? Has that ever happened to you? I remember when it happened to me. I remember my mom being like, did you have your quiet time today, Rory? Ah! Gotta get out my devotion. Real heroes eat hamburgers. Literally, that was my devotional book. I don't even know what that had to do with Jesus at all. You do the math. And just like, oh, you know. not By the way, not it's nothing about my mom, okay? It's just the devotion. Like, what were they thinking? My mom listens to every sermon. Just Mom, just so you know, I love you. I'm thankful for that devotional book. Um, but I remember when, can we edit this? Okay. I remember when it went from, oh, I gotta read my Bible today, to like, my heart is burning within me every time I'm in the Word, every time I'm with my friends and my pastors opening it up to us. And and it's, it's exciting, isn't it? To see Jesus in the word. And then he goes and shows up to the other disciples and it says he opened up their mind that they could comprehend the scriptures. So that's the mystery that we're speaking of here. We're speaking of the purposes of God in salvation, redemption, forgiveness. In chapter three, verses three through six, there's a mystery shown to us of Gentiles that in the Old Testament, it spoke of the Gentiles being saved, but that was some crazy mystery to the Israelites. And in the New Testament, God's plan is shown to them how he's going to do this. It's kind of like the building of a building. An architect has a plan. It starts out kind of vague. A foundation starts to be built. There's scaffolding and tarps, but the more you go along, the more you begin uh, to see. Now, there are people, and we've experienced it in this church, who said that they're are no mysteries in the scriptures. There's no mysteries about God. God has revealed everything about him to me. And now I need to tell you. Okay, The problem is, is that the scriptures say that there still are some levels of mysteries. The secret things belong to the Lord. Even Paul, when he writes in Romans about election and predestination and all these things, and he just gives a thesis on... God's great sovereign plan and the dealing and election of Israel and the Gentiles. At the end of it all, he just goes, my mind has been blown. Oh, the depths and riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has become his counselor? And he goes on with just this, doxology that's come from theology. Now, there's wonderful things that have been shown to us. So many times we're we're like, oh, eye has not seen and ear has not heard the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And yet, then that verse goes on to say, yet God has shown them to us. We have received the spirit that we might know the things that have freely been given to us by God. That doesn't mean we know everything about heaven. You know, there's, man, we're going to spend heaven just like finding out who God is. That's like eternity is just him showing us who he is. But in context of Ephesians 1, the mystery is not that it's been revealed who are the elect and who are not the elect. And I've got the corner market on Calvinism or Arminianism. The mystery is, because there is, there's mystery, not that God chooses It's that somehow in his sovereignty, he chooses, he elects, and yet there's still a very real free will. He chooses, he elects, he predestines, he calls, and yet there's still a very real, whosoever believeth in me will not perish but have everlasting life. And he's the propitiation for our sins And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So, how? That's part of the mystery. Okay? Um, And so, when that's being said, it's not a cop-out that we don't study the deep things of God, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility or man's role, but it also means that any system that says there's no mystery is not the right system. Okay? Okay? And what does this have to do with us? It has to do with us because in the last year, we've had people say, there's no mystery. I've got the market on it. And if you don't believe what I believe, you're not saved. Okay? And so we're just like, I'm sorry, but the Bible teaches also this. So yes, and this. Okay? This is this is what comes into our church. So be ready for it, guys. Okay? Um, we've We've studied that. We've talked about these things before. For more on this... Um, You can listen to Romans 9, 10, and 11 on our website, and you can also listen to our equip class of soteriology, which is the study of salvation, but you also don't have to. Here we are in Ephesians, and you're being taught here as well. Um, So what is this mystery? The cool thing about the Bible is that, just keep reading, (laughs) okay? Don't just camp out on one verse. We get ourselves in trouble when we do that. This mystery is that at the end of verse nine, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. So everything about election, predestining, all these things, all the blessings of God, it was all for his good pleasure. It was all about his purpose. The language speaks of a pleasing desire for your own intended plan. The scriptures speak about His counsel will stand and he will do all his pleasure. Or he says, I have spoken it and I will also bring it to pass. That which I've purposed, I will do it. And so somehow on the sovereign end of God's doings, whatever he's going to do, he's going to do. And then you've got Moses begging with him to change his mind. And the Lord says, okay. If you can do this, things could change. Or, oh, I will relent. Or, wicked King Ahab, you're going to die, you pagan, filthy king. But I'm repenting and I'm sorrowful for my sin. Okay, you're going to live. I'm going to give you more time. You know? He's going to do what's in his plan. Nothing surprises him, but he gets to do what he wants. I don't get it. Me neither. It's a mystery. Okay? Some people get it a little more than I do, and I'm not saying they don't. They, they probably do. But then at the end of it, they go, and yet there's still some mystery to it. And so, praise God, right? When Peter's preaching, he says that God did whatever his hand, or it's rather, I'm sorry, it's during the prayer in Acts 4. You did whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. When it came to the crucifixion of Jesus, the betrayal, the arrest, the standing before Pontius Pilate. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Oh no, I don't know. God's not in control anymore. No, he did what was his determined purpose to be done. But the 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 mystery here, what's Paul talking about? Mystery. Oh, I know the mystery. You don't. You don't know what what's what's he talking about? It's verse 10. The mystery is that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In other words, the mystery that he has shown us was his task, his plan, him as administrator planning for a final period when an era is done, when it all is complete. And this happens all throughout the word. You know all those It shall come to pass passages in the Bible, like in Daniel, and it shall come to pass. Those are all speaking of the purposes of God. Or in Galatians 4.4, one of my favorite Christmas passages, believe it or not, is in Galatians, that when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That's a Christmas passage. We did, I think, this last year for Christmas Eve service. At the fullness of the time, in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, at the crescendo of human history, if you're talking music terms, okay? God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law to fulfill the law, that he might redeem us to be his sons and daughters. That's part of this. He's showing us what he's doing. What was he doing in the Old Testament? If you're a surfer, you're out there, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing. You're just trying to kind of hold yourself in place. And then you see the set coming in. And you start paddling and you haven't surfed in like three years. And you're like, my arms don't want to move. And i got to go faster and faster. And finally you like kind of get up on your knees and you fall over. But there was a moment where you had a chance to hit the crescendo of the wave and be carried in. And so the mystery, as you read this, isn't, God's given me the corner market on this theological point of election predestination. The mystery is God has given you the corner market on that all things will come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And how has it been happening? Look at his first coming. And how will it happen? There's some mystery there, but he's going to come back again. He's going to take us to himself and he's going to come and he's going to judge the world and he's going to rule here on earth. On earth. He'll be here ruling. Did you know that? It's going to happen. Hope you're on his side. (laughs) Me too. Okay. And this is stuff that's heavenly stuff and earthly stuff. It's all going to come together in the dispensation in the right time because he's the administrator and he knows how it's supposed to go. Verse 11, in him also we've obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We looked at this on Sunday and that we are heirs of his. We are um, inheritors of his. Remember we talked about our identity in Christ, that we are heirs of God, joint heirs of Christ. Uh, Here we read also that we are a part of his purpose, his counsel, his will. This is decided beforehand. It was a God plan set by the one who made the stars and the moon and the sun and the sky and the earth. He had a plan and guess what? You are a part of it. With the presidential candidate coming up, No matter how we shake it, we know that not one of these people can fix us. But at the end of the day, don't we just lean back and rest? Because we know that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. We can look at Habakkuk in that, chapter 1. But we're not going to because we don't have time. But John Stott says, Paul could hardly have insisted more forcefully that our becoming members of God's new community was due neither to chance nor to choice, if by that is meant our choice, but to God's own sovereign will and pleasure. This was the decisive factor as it is in every conversion. Not that we were ourselves inactive, however, far from it. In this very context in which our salvation is attributed entirely to the will of God, our own responsibility is also described. For, look at verse 13. First we heard the word of truth, which is also called the gospel of your salvation. Then we believed in him, Christ. And so were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Let no one say, and by the way, this is a reformed guy saying this. Let no one say, therefore that the doctrine of election by the sovereign will and mercy of God, mysterious as it is, makes either evangelism or faith unnecessary. The opposite is the case. It is only because of God's gracious will to save that evangelism has any hope of success and faith becomes possible. In other words, as we look at all this, it starts with God. Okay, Man has choice, there's freedom, there's choosing, there's receiving, there's believing, there's trusting, there's obeying. But it doesn't start with us in our own, I'm a pretty great guy, I think I'm going to believe in God today. It starts with Him. His choosing, His beckoning, His drawing, His convicting, His loving, His grace. And we see it and we go, I want that. I want that. Verse 12 that we Jews—by oh, the way, I added that word Jews—that <laughs> we (parentheses Jews) who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. So the first ones who trusted in Jesus, it was the Jews. They were they were the first with a purpose. Okay, remember Romans says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe." For the Jew first and then also for the Greek. And so the Jews believing that first little part of them would be to the praise of his glory. And you might underline all the things that show the purpose here. It's all to the praise of his glory. Uh, it's all to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, we've already read it three times and studied it on Sunday morning, So, uh, because it ties into verse 3, 4, 5, 6, and, um, and how there's also a human aspect of salvation and that is uh, verse 13 trusting after you hear the word the gospel of your salvation there's believing and then there's a God part sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise it's a wonderful part of that last verse there is this sealing of the Holy Spirit it speaks of well let's read verse 14 too the spirit of promise, and this is important, guys. I know that it's getting late and we're only on verse 14, but um, this is encouraging for you tonight. You're here to hear this. After you trusted, after you believed, it was after you heard the word. By the way, people aren't going to believe unless they hear the word. That's where we come in, going and telling them the word. That's a Romans 10 thing that like you got to trumpet in love. But uh, as we hear the word then we trust or we believe and then when we believe we talked about this a couple weeks ago looking at the holy spirit in ephesus we're sealed with the holy spirit okay uh he seals us as it says a guarantee of our inheritance and so there is There is the hope of heaven for us as Christians. We don't have to worry every day like, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I saved? You guys, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We're going to backslide. We're going to stumble and fumble. But he will bring us to repentance. He will bring us back. There is eternal security. Once saved, always saved. Providing you're abiding. Now, that might seem like a contradiction, but you'll be able to know if you're saved if there's evidence of abiding in your life in any way, shape, or form. Once saved, always saved, there is eternal security. And something that we don't see that he does is that when we trust in him and we rest in him, there is a spiritual God spirit seal on us that is the down payment For the day when we'll see him face to face and be brought into his presence. There's a seal. There is earnest. There's earnest put down. There's an engagement ring. There's a brand on the beast. Okay? He says, you're mine. Okay? Nothing will separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing will separate you. We're going to stumble. We're going to fumble. But part of our being kept near is being in a body where we sharpen each other, where we correct each other, where we encourage each other, where we don't let each other backslide and fall away. We get each other. We pursue each other. But what God sees that we don't see is this guarantee sealing us. It seals us until the redemption of the purchased possession. You guys remember on Man from Snowy River, part two, Return to Snowy River? Sorry. It comes in. I can't help it if it's halfway biblical. Do you remember on Man? Who hasn't seen it? Come on. Everyone's seen it? Oh, I love every one of you. Stacy, you've seen Man from Snowy River. Okay. Who's, saw someone? Paul, oh my goodness. Man, maybe we can tell if someone's not saved. No, I'm joking, Paul, I love you. Do you remember after, in part two, he goes back to Mr. Harrison's place. He's riding that bay, you know. You know, it's such a good part. And, you know, the Australian uh, soldier, you know, he does his little show. You know, and then he goes out, uh, he goes up to Harrison, and Harrison's like, get out of here, Jim. You know, you never, we don't like you. Get out of here. You know, just, you've been gone too long. And he says, I'm back to get my brood mares, you know. And he says, And whatever else is mine. You remember that? And he looks over at Jess. And then Harrison says, she's not for you. You know, and he's like, I'll be the judge of that. You know, he hops on and he uses his cinches and stuff. Like, okay, we went way too long on that. We're not even praying for Iraq right now. But do you guys remember when Jim Craig went back to redeem his purchased possession, the brood mares and Jess, as if that's not a compliment? (laughs) picture of Jesus <laughs> whoa some things you've got to wade through here at this church and certainly use discernment he is coming back for us to get whatever else is his amen you can amen that come on I know you want to Whew, tough crowd tonight tough crowd moving right along okay guys Blaine's teaching on Ephesians 2 this Sunday. So I got to finish the chapter to set him up, okay? Verse 15, we have the beginning of, so we've had um, praise for the blessings and now we have a prayer that will just understand those blessings. Prayer for spiritual wisdom. Stott says a healthy Christian life today is of the utmost importance to follow Paul's example and keep Christian praise and Christian prayer together keep them together guys verse 15 therefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints I do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers I remember hearing the story of a youth pastor who uh, he was kind of this nerd in the church and not the cool hip guy and the the youth pastor of the church uh, moved away and maybe was sent out. And so they were looking for a new youth pastor. And this nerdy guy, the not cool guy, not the polished guy that we would all just want to follow. He's like, hey, I'd like to, you know, throw my hat in, you know, for that job. And they said, oh, we don't think it's for you. And, you know, yeah, you're just not kind of the guy that we're looking for. You know, we need guys wearing hurley stuff and, you know, into surfing. And, you know, like that's who we're looking for. You know, they didn't say that, you know, but it's just like he got the shaft because he was not all the outward appearance that you'd want. And so, uh, you know, they, they went through just this long period, long period. And he just finally said, please just give me a chance. And as they gave him a chance, uh, in one month's time, the youth group grew from like 12 kids to 300 kids. Kids were getting saved. Uh, kids were evangelizing. Kids were bringing their friends. There was a revival and they the bosses brought him in the elders and they just said man what like we just got to repent you know we just were looking at the outward things and not looking at the heart what's happening and and uh the guys the, the youth pastor gets out a list that had pictures of every one of the kids in the youth group and he says every day i pray over this list and i know that that's the secret to what god's doing here and so i wish i could say it's an everyday thing but i love to go through our church directory. Remember at the Pulse when we used to go through the church directory? We used to pray for everyone by name. I'll go through the Facebook page and your little pictures on there. I'll pray for the pictures. I'll go through the lists of our church and the people that come here. It's such a wonderful thing. And that's something that that Paul would do for all of the churches that he ministered in. He says, I don't even stop giving thanks and mentioning you in my prayers. And I know it's getting late, but I always loved this prayer of Samuel. or When Samuel said, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Like, when I stop to pray for you, Samuel says, I have fallen into sin. Um, I pray, verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So, does he want us to be enlightened? Does he want us to be enlightened in things even pertaining election and calling? Yes, we're here, we're in the word. We're saying, we, we've been called. Saints, we've been chosen, we've been elected. That's incredible. Let's, let's rejoice in that. I want to be enlightened in that and I want to go more as the Lord would have us go more. There's a hope in our calling. We want to be enlightened in what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. The splendor and wealth of the possessions of the saints. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding, catch these just words, these descriptive words, exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. What do you think the power of God is towards you? If you're a believer here tonight, what do you think it is for you on like a on like a scale? You know, let's do the Peter Pan thing. Like, if you think it's, clap how much you think it's like, clap, 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 clap. Okay. Wow. You think he really has some power towards you. Or is it clap, 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 clap. Woo, go God. You know, or is that whoa, exceeding greatness of his power at work when you're moving, when you're disciplining your children, when you're loving your wife and your husband, when you're, whoa, like exceeding riches of the power of God who made the universe. And then it's according to part according to the working of his mighty power so he doesn't only just have it for you but he uses it according to the working of his mighty power it's power it's power stroke it's you know it's ford power stroke it's it's chevy duramax it's dodge cummins it's you know there's some power here for you to be in Jesus for you to walk in all that he has for you And he did all this in verse 20 in the gospel. When he raised Jesus from the dead. He worked it in Jesus when he raised Jesus from the dead. That's the resurrection. That's resurrection power. A dude went from dead to life. You don't see that every day. And not only that, then he ascended him. Dead to life. Life to ascended. Ascended into heaven. From heaven to the right hand of the Father to the epitome of glory in the everything that's ever been. That's what's for you here tonight. I want to know him, Paul said, and the power of his resurrection. Verse 21, far, he was seated up far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age that's to come. He's above it all. He's the head of principalities and powers. Angels, demons, Michaels, Gabriels, Lucifers. He's above them all and he's got a better name and every knee will bow to them. He's, that's everything in the past, everything in the present, everything in the future. And in verse 22, he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. This is part of the kingdom now and not yet. Because there are things that have been put under his feet and there are things that Hebrews 2.8 says, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we will see it all one day. And we see in that verse that he is the head of the church. Now look at verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Something that's beautiful about this verse as we close is that the church, universal and local, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about the redeemed people from all of eternity. They are the fullness of Jesus. Okay, so what that means is when I'm not with my wife, I'm not who I am. You guys know that, right? Like You've been there, you know that. Or when you're not with your kids, you're not the fullness of who you are. And when Jesus isn't with his bride, when his bride isn't being his bride, when the body isn't being the body for the head, Jesus, we're going to get that in Ephesians 4, then there's a lacking. So Jesus is the head of the church, the church is his body. And it's the fullness of Jesus that's not something heretical that's something that Jesus has done and worked out he purchased, he bought his bride he pursued her a groom is all about his bride the fullness of him fills him up and that's where we close tonight at 8.05 Iraq is going to be our nation of focus for the next week we're going to pray for Iraq uh, this next Wednesday night, since I uh, had to power through all those verses, um but we'll put some uh videos up for um for prayer because we want to be praying for them. I hope uh now that you know it's Iraq that you'll maybe even do some research and post some things on the facebook page and um By the way, we're putting together what we call like our global discipleship team. And if that's something that interests you, you just want to be a part in this church of helping keep missions at the forefront of our body. Um, It might be something like, you know, we've got a map out front that we painted on the wall and maybe you would pin that, uh, pin a little article about the nation of focus that week on that wall. Or maybe it's, you know, you just take the initiative to be posting things about that nation uh, throughout the week. Um, could be everything that you're on the fundraising crew for missions or you're on the local missions teams and like reaching out locally. There's a lot there, but will you guys be praying about that? Maybe God would have you guys be a part of that. And can we send out one of the Lukers to just go tell the kids to come on in and close and worship? You guys just look like full of energy and ready to, ready to go.